Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. If it gets unbearable up here, if it gets unbearable in here with this heat, have somebody just open those back doors back there. I'm going to be hot no matter what. I have spotlights and a long sleeve shirt on, so I'll be warm no matter what. But uh. all right, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to watch movies. Anybody else? Like like four of you? All the stuff on Netflix, and you watch like four of you. Okay, yeah, yeah. We have communion coming. You can repent before then. <laughs> I love a good movie, man. It can be, I love a good movie. It can be a good movie. It could be a bad movie. It can be a good movie for me to watch. It doesn't really matter. I just really enjoy watching movies. I don't get to do it as much now with like three uh, little kiddos in my life, but we find some time at night. And the only thing I like more than watching a movie, though, is falling asleep to a movie. Does anybody like to just fall asleep? Any of you old guys like me in here now? Yeah. Like to just fall asleep to movies. I love. Movies, but there is a genre of movie that I most certainly do not like, and that is a parody. You might like parodies, you know what that, kind of like a spoof movie, like not another teen movie, you know what I'm talking about? Or the starving games instead of the hunger games, you know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys think of any parodies off the top of your head? Hot shots. Hot shots, yeah, yeah. Okay, anything else? Appropriate? Appropriate. <laughs> That's what I was thinking as well, but I didn't say it out loud, so that's right. You're like, well, pastor, like, they aren't all rated PG, you know, so it's just a trick, and so, yeah, I do, I love movies, I don't love parodies, I like SNL shorts, they do some really good uh, parodies, so sometimes they're funny, but the reality is, when it comes to a, a parody, they're really just a cheap knockoff of the real thing. The reviews aren't usually very high, they usually get a lot of details wrong, misappropriate a lot of things. They're an imitation of what was really good. And today, as we get into Revelation 13, we get introduced to a parody. Uh, Satan is going to come onto the scene. He came on as a dragon two weeks ago in Revelation uh, chapter 12, and he's going to be accompanied by two beasts. And even right there, we see an unholy trinity that's been put on display. Uh, For those of us that are Christians, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But Right here, you need to also believe in, although it's not holy by any means, there's this reality we're hearing in the text. There is a dragon met by two beasts. It's an unholy trinity that is being presented. It's a parody. It's a cheap invitation of something that is good and holy and right and worth worshiping. He comes, Satan comes as a parody. This beast then, there's two beasts that we're going to be introduced to. The first beast that we're going to be introduced to is the Antichrist. Uh, if you're new to Heights, spoiler, we're going through the book of Revelation, all right? If you come back after this, praise the Lord, okay? Like, it's going to get crazy. You're like, this is nuts. Why did I show up? Because, because it's worthwhile. That's why. The beast represents, first beast represents the Antichrist. The second beast represents the false prophet. Uh, everything that we're going to see then, especially if you're a note taker, write this down. Everything, all the imagery that we're going to see here in the text comes directly out of Daniel chapter 7 and chapter 8. There's nothing new 
under the sun. There's nothing new in the book of Revelation. We don't get all crazy in here with the book. It's crazy enough, yeah? Like, we're not going to come in and say locusts or Apache helicopters and the Antichrist is this guy or that guy. That's not the way the book was meant to be read. It's not the way the book was meant to be written. And so what things did not, if it did not mean something for them originally, it cannot mean anything different for us. It has to be whatever it meant for them, it must mean for us. Now, there is a tension of an already not yet reality that we live in where there's a lot of these things that are happening right now, but they've not yet fully come to full fruition if I can word it that way. And so today, though, we're met with Satan and these beasts, the dragon and these beasts. The big idea, very simple for you, juvenile even, is this. Satan is a copycat. As Steve mentioned earlier, he's a counterfeit. He's an imitation. He has no new tricks up his sleeve. He's not done anything new since he got kicked out of the kingdom of God. He's not done anything new since he tricked Adam and Eve in the garden. He's not done anything new since he's tried to kill King Jesus as a baby. I would go as far as to say, in your personal life, if you can identify quickly sins that you've struggled with for the last decade, there's probably nothing new. There might be a different way by which he's approached you to partake in that sin and partake in that unrighteousness. There's probably different angles that he's kind of come at. He is sneaky and tricky. I mean, he's a serpent. He's sneaky. But if I had to guess, I think if we were to sit down and have coffee, you would probably say the same struggles have been happening for the last 10 years, 15 years, just in different ways, even as you're confessing and repenting. He's not done anything new, has he? He is, in fact, a copycat. And so the way to uh, press this out a little bit further, three points for you. I already gave them away for the most part. First point is this, the Antichrist. That's what we're going to see. Second one will be the prophet. And then the third one will be the king. Sound good? Yep. All right. First one. You guys, some of you have been waiting like your whole lives for this. You're like the Antichrist. We're going to know. We're going to know. This is who, that's who I thought it was. And it's going to be really, pretty boring for you. Sorry. The Antichrist. If you're ready, say, oh my gosh, I've been waiting my whole entire life for this moment. <laughs> if you're ready, say ready. Here we go. Revelation 13.1. Uh, we preach straight through books of the Bible at heights, and we believe in God's word to be true and inerrant. So here we go. Revelation 13, 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, and ten horns, and seven heads, and with ten diadem, that's a fancy word for a crown. On its horns were blasphemous, that's words that speak against the living God, blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and his authority. We'll come back to the end of two. Let's camp out here for a second. So two weeks ago, last week was the park service. Thank you for those of you that came out. That was super fun time. Last or Two weeks ago, Revelation 12, Pastor David uh, introduced to us the dragon or Satan kind of from a different perspective. And we got to look into this window into a battle that has been happening for all of creation. That's what the book of Revelation is kind of a series of windows that we get to peek into and see what is taking place behind the scenes or behind the spiritual curtain. There's this war that has been happening. And so last or two weeks ago, Revelation 12, if you were to read that, you would read about uh, the promise of this serpent crushing king from an offspring from a woman 
whose name is Eve. And you can read about that in there. And if you read the second part of Revelation 12, it talks about this serpent-crushing king comes and he's fully God and he's fully man and his name is Jesus and he walks in perfection and dies the most humiliating death we could ever think of or imagine on a cross. And so that's chapter 12. Here in chapter 13, though, we are introduced to these beasts, to this antichrist and to this coming false prophet. But all of the imagery here is out of Daniel 7. If you were to read Daniel 7, if we had time to read it, we would. If you read Daniel 7, what you'll see is that Daniel's talking about four different beasts that show up on the scene, but the four beasts in Daniel 7 represent the four governing authorities, the state or the nations that are about to wreak havoc on Israel. And so Daniel 7, just like Revelation, it's apocalyptic. It's saying, hey, this thing is coming. There's an end times that is coming. It's also prophetic. He's saying this has not happened yet, but it is going to happen. It is coming towards us. And so what is happening here with the apostle John, what he's doing to us, he's saying to the people that would have read their Bibles during that time, he's saying, y'all know Daniel 7. Remember the imagery. Recall that imagery. Think about those four beasts. Think about the four nations that were coming. Now take all that power and take all that oppression and take all that might and funnel all that down into this beast. They would have got what he was saying, yeah? You kind of feel the weight of that, yes? I need you to talk to me a little bit as I can't see you. And so he's saying funnel all that down into this Beast 12 introduced the dragon, 13 rep- introduces this beast. This antichrist is not a literal beast. That, that would be too easy. Right? Turns out you see some crazy dragon come out of the sea, don't follow that guy. Right? Like, that's, not, that's not the one. You know, like, I don't think that's the Christ or the Messiah. It's, he's, he's too slick for that. It's not a literal beast that is going to come out of the water. The imagery here, though, is a representation of the state. It's an It's a representation of the governing authorities that would lead you to be anti-Christ, that would lead you away from Christ. And so there's a very real anti-Christ that is coming. There's also a spirit of the age that is of the anti-Christ as well. This here, though, is the Roman Empire that tried to kill Jesus as a little boy. This is the uh, tyrannical, I would say every single tyrannical power that's ever existed that has come against Christianity had a spirit of the Antichrist. I think there are clearly politicians in the world that have the spirit of the Antichrist, but they are not the Antichrist, okay? And so when you think about Antichrist, they have to know they are both here now and they are also coming. He is, he, singular, is coming in this way. First John 2 puts it like this, Matt, if you could put it up. First John 2, 18 says, children, this is the last hour. That's his final battle. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Do you see that? Comma. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is in fact the last So the Apostle John, writing here, writing the book of Revelation, he's saying there's a a tension that we have to walk in. Are you still tracking with me here? There's a tension that we have to walk in where this is taking place, and it will also finally and forever take place. That's the tension that we are walking. Let's continue reading. Check this out. Uh, Continuing verse 2, Matt. And to it, that's the beast, and to it, the beast, the dragon gave his authority and his throne and great authority. Pin that. Verse 3, on, 
one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he, the dragon, had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? I want you to know that this is a parody. This is what this is. This is a copy. This is an imprint. This is a portrayal of the real thing, and yet is less than. Do you see it yet? Can you see it yet? I'm going to explain it to you, but I really, I want you to get this. Think about this here with me. The dragon has all, has been given all authority, or sorry, the dragon has given all his authority to the beast, given all of his power to the beast, given all of his dominion to the beast. Well, what do we see in the Trinity? God the Father has given all of his power and all of his authority and all of his dominion to King Jesus the Son. The beast has a wound. He's literally been injured. So also Jesus, as he goes to the cross, has been wounded and injured. Now his wounds have been healed, it says. And here he is, the beast rising up out of the waters. What would we call that? What's next after death? Resurrection. There's a resurrection that is taking place here. He was wounded, he was scarred, and now he's literally resurrecting up out of the waters, right? (laughs) What Satan is trying to portray here is an unholy trinity and an unholy gospel. That's it. He's a copycat. He literally has nothing original. There's nothing original about him in this text. He's only doing what he's seen being done. He's still tracking with me on that. Like there's nothing about it. He's a copycat, right? To keep it juvenile. He's a counterfeit for you. The best Satan can do, church, is mimic. That's the best thing that he can do, is mimic. That's why he hasn't switched up the way he's called you to slip up over the last 10 years. He can't do anything new. He's completely unoriginal. And this blow, you know where this blow came from? I have a guess about where this blow came from. You want to hear about it? It's, I know it's hot, but I think we got some time. We got some time? All right. I think that the, the blow comes in from the true death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the mortal blow that hit him. You read the Old Testament, you read a little bit about Satan. He's kind of in there every now and again, sprinkled about, very, very rare. But I'll tell you what, as soon as this serpent crushing Jesus comes on the scene, church, he's everywhere. He's running for the hills. Baby born in a manger, perfect, boom. He starts to hit the hills. Every single day that Jesus walked out, a sinless life in perfection puts Satan further and further against the ropes. Every single day, he walked in perfection, put him against the ropes. And then we know on Friday, right, this Jesus that we love has put to death in our place as our substitute. And I guarantee that Satan was like, that's it. We won. They told us we could never do it. Man, we try to thwart every single plan from the garden all throughout the Old Testament, trying to stomp him out as a little boy. And now he's finally put to death. I met, I guess, Satan and his little minions are down in hell or wherever they hang out with some strobe lights, doing a little dance party to themselves, you know, you picture it with me, right? These little minions. And then you know what I see next? This is not in the Bible, but I think First Peter might say this could have happened. I think while they're down there kind of getting their groove on, I think Jesus shows up, man, kicks the door down and says, give me them keys, Satan. I own the keys to Hades and death, right? I see, you kind of see that in there. He's coming in, he's saying, well, he's saying, those are my keys, those aren't your keys. And then boom, punch Satan right in the face. That's how he gets this cut on his head. I think this is what happens. This mortal blow is the literal, not the, fic- not the parody, not the fictional. It is the very, the very real, literal life, death, burial, 
and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't think there's a wound without the resurrection. And so this mortal wound has been healed. Verse 5, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. That's words against God. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened his mouth and to utter blasphemies. There it is again, against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints. So it can happen now. It can happen then. Allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Do you hear the similarities in language here? And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. So Satan is a, he's a copycat, church. He's a mimic. Is he, he's a lot of things. He's powerful. He's all those things. But at the end of the day, he's a parody. This is the anti-Christ. Think about all these similarities in case you've not seen it. All power and authority and a throne given to him. He's been wounded. He's been healed. He's been resurrected. The whole earth will marvel at him. So much New Testament language in that, right? Who is like the beast? Old Testament language. Who is like the beast? Who can fight against him? That's the same language used for King David. Who can fight against the Lord's anointed? Who can beat King David? Who can do this? And it's the same Language, nothing new here. The difference here is that this power speaks against God and his gospel. Speaks against God and the life that he can bring and give to you. This power, though, only holds death and destruction. There's nothing beautiful that comes out of this gospel here that is given. It is bad news. It's like the apostle John, in some ways, is kind of poking fun at Satan. Calling out this reality that he's just a copycat. He's powerful, yes. He has some authority, absolutely. And at the same time, he is completely unoriginal in every single way. He's only doing what he's seen done. He's only doing the things he's been jealous of not being able to do. Think about it. When he was in the kingdom of God, he wanted to be like God, and he had to be removed from the presence of God. Is he doing anything different right here? He's just doing what he's seen a holy God do, hoping it's going to pan out for him. And yet it does not. All he can do is mimic. I almost did a big idea of Satan is so basic. Just put him in some yoga pants, give him a white chocolate mocha, and put him in Target. You know, like... (laughs) Sorry, I just called out everyone, (laughs) including myself, in skinny jeans. Just give him a flannel and skinny jeans and Vans, you know, and some tattoos. He's super basic. The reality is, though, church, we, man, we settle for the parody, knowing that the review is going to be terrible. The critic review is going to be bad. We settle for this parody, and I want to extend to you that we settle for something that is less than, something that is an imitation, especially when it comes to the state, especially whenever it comes to the government. I don't know if you remember the 2020 election, but Christians effectively lost their minds during that time. It was embarrassing to see Christians respond in social media and on the news and in other ways. Shows a wild dependency on the state, putting way too much of their trust in both sides of the aisle. Not just liberal, not just conservative. You had both sides of the aisle putting an incredible amount of faith in someone that can never actually bring redemption to you. When you think about the governing authorities that exist, man, all they can do is offer you problems without any solutions. They offer you redemption, but you're the one who pays. Call it taxes if you want to. 
Like they're going to offer you everything, offer you redemption, offer you reconciliation. We know how to get equality. We know how to be inclusive. We know how to. If that was true, there would not be two sides of the aisle. Their, their very existence reveals the lie. It's just logic, right? right? They're saying like, but we know, just come to us, put your faith in us. Here, here's a little bit of stimulus. Here's a little bit of money. Here's some monthly money for you. And now you have all these people with all these signs up, business owners that says we can't get employees to show up. So who are they going to have to be dependent upon? The state. Does some of it happen now? Yes and amen. Is it most certainly going to make itself a full existent in the end? Yes and amen. It's the anti-Christ. I had to get geared up. I have to keep this. Um, I don't want to be offensive or funny. It might be funny, but I'm not trying to be either. It's just the reality. I had to get geared up to have a conversation about why Biden was not the anti-Christ. These are some of the things I get to talk about. That's the quietest I've heard you be. You're really interested <laughs> in this. And so I did. I like racked my brain, man. I like was reading scriptures. I was doing research. I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I support? I don't believe he is. And I'm not saying this to be offensive or funny, although you're going to laugh. But the reality is this. His approval rating wasn't high enough. Like whenever this Antichrist comes, not, neither is Trump. Just to be clear, none of those cats that are going to be nominated, are, none of their approval is going to be high enough. This, when he comes... You're going to love him or her. You're going to love him. Everything they say, man, is going to be so enticing to you. You're going to look at them and you're going to think, man, I, I would follow that person. I would, I would get behind those policies. There's going to be a great deal of unity that happens across the globe looking at this individual. And it's going to come to the point, whether you say it with your mouth or just with your actions, where you'll say, that person's worth my worship. I would worship that person. Some of those things happen now as it creates dependency on the state in our lives. It's happened for, for millennia. But it's most certainly going to happen here in this moment. It ain't going to be Biden. It ain't going to be Trump. It's not going to be whoever the next cat is that comes into office either. It's going to be someone so other, and as you hear me, so attractive to you that all of a sudden you're just going to be worshiping. That's how the serpent works. You tracking? Hear the word of the Lord. I mean, just imagine like, what would our country look like if we stopped putting faith in the state and genuinely put faith in our Savior and then responded in faith? Like, it's not the government's responsibility to accomplish anything you wanted to accomplish. It's the church's responsibility. It's our job to look and to behold, not a false gospel narrative, but the real gospel and see this Jesus who walks in perfection and behold the cross and our sins on and the resurrection and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And then with a great deal of power and authority that's been given to us in and through Christ Jesus, then we respond. Like, we don't believe that we respond and God accepts us. We believe at this church that God has accepted us, and now we respond. And so while we're looking at all these different broadcasts and all these other different things, what we need to do is look at ourselves and go, how? Okay. We need to look at ourselves and say, man, how am I the one to meet this need right now? Like, maybe you're the solution you've been praying for the whole time. Verse 10. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. This is a heavy text. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints, church. Right? This is, this is the call. How do we respond? What do we do now? What do we do then? It is a call to faithful endurance as saints, with our eyes transfixed on who Jesus is and what he's called us to do. That's how we respond. 
especially in light of the state and governments, the call, the response is not to social media. Some of you just need to get off Facebook. It's not to Snapchat. It's not to some TikTok. It's not to whatever you're into. It's not to the next blog. It's not to that. It's not to wage war against your brother or sister that sets across the aisle from you with a different political ideology. That's not what the call is. The call is faithful endurance. It's not a call to pride. It's not a call to arrogance. It's not a call to I know more than you, so I must be right. It's not a call to canceling people on social media and Facebook or just because you got the last period in the conversation means you win. Right? When you win, you lose. That's what Jesus teaches. There's nothing humble about that. That's prideful and arrogant. The call here is to faithful endurance as Saints. It's not a call to pick up arms or to rush the government in any way, shape, or form. You know what you, you, know what you do to win? You want to win this game? Love your enemy. That's what Jesus says. For you will drop lumps of coal on their head. That's far more devastating than you could ever do if you want to win. I'm getting ahead of myself. False prophet. I'm going false prophet. Revelation 13, 11 through 18. Verse 11. False prophet. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns, you better listen, it had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. You guys hear this? Everything about him attractive, but listen to his words, man. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Right, okay, so it has two horns. Who else had two horns like a lamb? The actual lamb that we've seen in the book of Revelation that's sitting on the throne that the saints have been worshiping. It has two horns like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon, man. It speaks like a reptile, like a snake, like a slithering, cowardice snake. We've got to pay attention to this, right? He ain't the lamb of God sitting on a throne. This is some dark, demonic, broken down, mangy, crazy looking lamb that's out there, right? And so he's, but he's not going to come just like that. This second beast is the third person of this unholy trinity. Just as the Holy Spirit allows us to be able to worship God the Father through Christ, so also that's what the imagery here is portraying. This is the third person of the unholy trinity. It's this beast that will call people to worship. It's this beast that will give people the faith to worship this unrighteous God. And he's still talking about unrighteous people in this regard. So this beast has all the power that leads to worship. Again, just a mockery of the Trinity. That's what is happening. Verse 13, it performs great signs. That's language from Moses, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. That's like Elijah, nothing new. Verse 14, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And so this is still no different than anything we've seen in the Old Testament. What does he do? He says, you should worship me. In case you're not going to worship me, then make me into an idol. And then he brings life to this idol. Remember the Old Testament. We did a series called Lest You Turn, Lest We Turn. You remember, we spent a whole year looking at the Old Testament. And every time there was these idols presented, the Father, God the Father would come. He would plead with his people Israel. He'd say, stop committing adultery. Stop worshiping these false idols. Stop pursuing them. They can do nothing for you. They're sticks and stones. They don't have breath in them. We read about it early, just a moment ago. They don't have breath in them. They don't have life in them. You cannot worship. There's nothing good in them. And so what does Satan do? Oh, he brings life to idols because he can't bring actual life. So he brings life to false worship. He's allowed to give breath. Verse 16, also, 
He causes, the beast causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This, verse 18, this calls for wisdom, colon. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, for it is the number of a man. And his number is 666. Man, some of y'all are like, praise the Lord. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Talk about this 666 number. (laughs) We're just going to skip that part. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Man, short story, it's more of the same. Second beast here is still just a copycat. He's a copycat, man. The Apostle John is pointing out this reality that Satan cannot come up with anything new on his own. He's completely unoriginal. He's only done what he has seen done from the garden until now. In every single way, this is what has happened. And in there, you can like, I hope you can see and feel like his jealousy. Like as he's trying to present himself as Jesus. He's trying to present himself resurrected, trying to present himself anew. He's like a child who's trying to earn the favor of his father and just cannot seem to earn it. There's some Bible stories about that, I believe, right? A wounded Savior and a resurrection worked for, worked for you before. Maybe it'll work for me now. Right? A fire raining down from heaven, it worked for Elijah. Maybe it'll work for me now. I can do all these signs and wonders. The apostles did signs and wonders. Maybe that'll work for me. Maybe, maybe that'll make me be. And yet, the difference between Satan and those who believe is he's still working in his own strength to try to earn something that can only be given freely through Christ. The final blow from the Apostle John to Satan is seen in the number 666. And so let me, I'm actually excited to get to set the record straight for some of you. The one thing that we've learned going through the book of Revelation is that there has been a great deal of spiritual abuse that's happened in churches using this book. And so for those of you in the room that have experienced that, I'm wildly empathetic and sorry that that has been the case. This book was never written to intimidate you. It was written to encourage and to exhort. That's the purpose of every epistle in the New Testament. And so hopefully the Holy Spirit here is going to straight set some of y'all free from that. And I, I think he can, and I think he will. So we established early in the book of Revelation that number seven is a number for completion, if you remember, if you've been with us this whole time. The repetition, something being said three times, is totally normal for Hebrew and Greek grammar to, to do that, to put an emphasis on something. So then the number 777, we saw earlier, if you remember, if you've been in the book, those who were righteous, those who were standing before God, both Jew and Gentile, that were worshiping and singing out to the actual lamb sitting on the throne, had the mark of righteousness on them. They had their hands marked and they had their foreheads marked with 777. They were completely righteous. They were completely complete in Christ. So then this number 666 is really incredible because six, in case you didn't know, comes right before number seven, okay? There's no significance to this number six. It's completely insignificant. And so then the repetition of 666, what that means, what the Apostle John here is saying, and please hear me say this, what the Apostle John is saying in light of 666 is the only thing that's complete about Satan is that he is completely incomplete. That's it. Oh, you guys just said, I'm going to write that, write that down. Write that down, yeah. The only thing about him is this. He's completely incomplete. The only thing perfect about Satan is that he's perfectly, what? Imperfect. Come on, you're tracking with me. That's right. That is it. That's all that he's saying. The apostle John is like kind of taking this final blow and hitting Satan directly in the mouth, and by extension, hitting us in the mouth as well, right? 
Because we continue to still settle for the parody. We settle for the imitation. And what he's saying is this. You follow after Satan, the only thing you're going to find is incompleteness. You follow after Satan, the only thing you're going to find is unrighteousness. And he's tricky and sneaky. And he can kind of just flip that on you all of a sudden. And then, you're, and then the reality is this. You got the mark. That's it. Like people were working. Here's the deal. The 666. Let me just settle you all down. The first, it ain't your cell phone. Okay. Um, I don't care how conservative you are. It ain't the vaccine. Okay, there's no microchip in there that they're hitting you with, all these things that are coming out. Listen to this. You really want to think that, okay? Let's just pause for a minute. David and Jeff are gone. I got all the time in the world. (laughs) Four years ago, although it is an Apple brand, this didn't have a bite taken out of it. Y'all better think about that next time you open up your iPhone. Okay. I switched to Android, heaven forbid. And so... um, what were you saying? What were we talking about? Oh, four years ago, they got your fingerprint, your thumbprint, yeah? Remember? Those have tra- been tracking on Apple. Last two years, they got your facial recognition. Wasn't nothing slick about that. They just did it. Satan ain't even that original enough to come up with that. And But we freely gave it to him. So if we're going to freak out about some microchips, getting put, you can, matter of fact, microchips are already in your hand because you can pay with your visa on your phone. Gotcha. So you got to watch like, you have to watch, though, putting 21st century into this word. You cannot do that. If it did not mean something for them, it cannot mean the same thing for us. And I'm telling you right now, he ain't slick enough to even think to do that. The 666 is not your visa. It's not anything that we think it's going to be. Here's what 666 is. It's the mark of unrighteousness. And so the reality is this. Some of you are worried about it coming in the future, but I'm going to tell you it's in the room right now. Some of you have been marked. Marked in unrighteousness. This is why he says the number is that of a man. Because you were either born of the flesh or you were born of the Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying here is being, in being marked in unrighteousness, you've just remained in the flesh. You've not actually cried out and confessed faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're not repented. You're not turning to him. You're not responding to the gospel. Instead, you've denied that truth and you've just remained in the flesh. That's the mark. That is the mark of the beast. Right? It's nothing crazy. It's just the reality that you were either born into Adam or you've been born again into Christ. That's it. Right? You're born with 666 on your arm and on your forehead. That's the story of the gospel. And then Jesus either swoops in and redeems you and you respond to the grace and mercy that's been given to Christ, or you don't. Like that, that's it. The only difference between someone marked in 666 and 777 is that we as Christians, professing Christians, have believed the gospel have responded to the gospel, have seen and beheld the true king on the cross and said, that's my king. That's good news. That's the gospel. And then the Holy Spirit comes in, boom, recharges us. All new life, regeneration happens. 666, wiped off the forehead and the hand. 777, hammered into us forever. And you can't lose that either, church. Like once perseverance of the saints, once you're in, you are in doesn't mean we don't have struggles. doesn't mean we have moments of confession and repentance, most certainly. doesn't mean he doesn't still sneak in over 10, 15 years, lead us astray every now and again. That's totally, that's going to happen. We live in a fallen world. What this is saying, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. That is the mark of the beast. And I would argue then, if you're uncertain of where you fall, I would ask you to consider where you spend your time. Because in light of this text, it says that the Antichrist is that of the state 
and the government. And if you spend the majority of your time, man, reading through and watching videos and reading blogs and checking out all the same um, articles and all the cha- same broadcast stations, and you're just kind of inundated and all that, and you've not spent time in your word with God's people, you got the mark. You might have the mark, church. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you are on. If you are consumed with media and politics, and that's the thing that is governing your mind, that's the word that is speaking over you and washing over you day in and day out, I would argue you probably got the mark. Because you're not turning to his word. You're not turning to his people. You're not being dependent on his spirit. If that is consuming your mind, you might, in fact, be consumed. The state and the government might have already God, do they do that now? They most certainly do. Absolutely, we've seen in the last two years a dependent, greater dependency on the state. And so I would, I would implore you or beg you to ask the question, who am I truly dependent upon? Because we see here the beast is dependent upon his own self and his own works and his own agenda and his own fill in the blank, not on Christ at all. I would also encourage you to ask then, who am I truly placing my faith in? Is it me and my work and my performance and what I can do and what I can bring? Is it the government? Is it the state? Is it someone else's word? Is it some self-help, nonsensical, prophetic blog that you got yourself into that, that, that is speaking good news over you, but it's not actually good news because it just leads you to greater dependency on yourself? Like, What are you spending your time doing? Genuine question. Ask, who am I truly dependent upon? Ask, who am I truly placing my faith in? Because there's only one who has full and total authority, and his name is Jesus, and he's the king. There's only one king that's worth bending your knee to and bowing your head before, and it is King Jesus. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me, and we'll close this thing out. I'm going to wait for you to get done shuffling around, and then I'm going to say something I just want, I need you to hear as your pastor. Final point here is that Jesus is the king, but here's the excerpt that I want you to hear, man. Jesus is everything Satan pretends to be. Think about it for a second. Jesus is literally everything that Satan is pretending to be here in the text. You want someone that walked in perfection? You got him. You want someone that's willing to die for your sins? By nothing you could do, man, you got him. If you want resurrection hope for yourself, for your marriage, for your friends, for your kids, you got it. Like there's a true, authentic, real resurrection hope that comes and it ain't from some beast but it is from King Jesus. What's incredible about this is that there is nothing unoriginal about Jesus. Everything that we see from the beginning to the end, right? His people wanted a knight in shining armor and he came as a baby in a manger. (laughs) They thought that he was going to be a king that that would overcome the Roman Empire. He came as a rabbi and people didn't even believe him. They speculated on everything that he said. The Jews wanted him to overthrow the empire. And as I said earlier, he said, if you want to overthrow the empire, then just love him. Love your enemy and just watch what happens to him. There was nothing that anyone could have ever guessed, completely unoriginal in every single way. And then God does all the things he does through Christ that allows us to repent and to believe in him. And what's incredible about this is that on the fact that Jesus, when he resurrects, sends us the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about this for a second before we take communion. Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit, births us as a church. He sends us, listen to me, he sends us the very power that Satan is jealous for. Think about it. Everything that Satan craves has been given to us in and through Christ Jesus. 
through his life, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. So what does that mean? So it means we're given new life in Christ. It means we don't ever have to truly experience death in Christ. It means we have a great deal of resurrection hope. Again, for everything that we could ever imagine, there is hope in the gospel of Jesus. And not only that, but then the kingdom that he is trying to establish has been given to us and sealed to us as if we were God's very own sons and daughters. You don't think Satan's jealous for you? And Jesus is everything that Satan pretends to be. And he has literally given you and me every single thing Satan could ever crave. Of course he's out to get us, yeah? And yet the call here is what? Perseverance of the saints. Be faithful unto death as Christ is faithful unto death. I mean, usher you into communion. Every week we read communion together. As a people, if you're unable to grab a communion cup on your way in, I know there's a lot of you, but feel free to just make your way up to the front. There's some baskets and you can grab the elements there. Don't miss out on this moment.